23andMe has suffered a huge data breach. Apple once considered using DuckDuckGo as their search engine. The Google Pixel 8 is here with a whopping seven years of support and much more. Welcome to Surveillance Support 142, a uh, slightly slower week compared to last week, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechLore. All right, our promo segment is 23andMe. Just kidding. Our promo segment is our usual. If you want to support this podcast, keep it going, keep it free for everyone else. We have Patreon, and for $5 a month or more, you get to ask us a Q&A, which will be out later in the week. If you want to get this without any of these sponsor segments and you want to hear some more of our thoughts and analysis and stuff that is ten dollars a month just a reminder you guys can give at any amount it just if it's less than five dollars you won't get the perks so if you don't really care about the perks and you just want to support us but you can't afford that much that's totally fine you can give less than that or you can go over to LibrePay. We have a LibrePay, which is a little bit more privacy respecting. It's kind of an open source project. And that is an option for people who don't want to use Patreon for any number of reasons. And then of course, last but not least, the most privacy respecting option is Monero, which is a privacy coin. We talked about that in the Q&A that just dropped today as of the time we're recording. So again, if you want to keep us going and help keep this free, there are many ways to support us. And for those who are able to, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And for those who are not, we totally understand. Thank you for listening. We're happy you're here. Well, this week, we're going to kick off with the highlight story, which is the genetics firm 23andMe, that's the DNA company, says user data was stolen in credential stuffing attack. So they've confirmed to Bleeping Computer that it is aware of user data from its platform circulating on hacker forums and attributes the leak to a credential stuffing attack. This contains 1 million records specifically for Ashkenazi people. What is that? So Ashkenazi is a uh, Jewish ethnic subgroup that originally i looked it up just to make sure i got my facts right so if i'm wrong blame braves ai which is i shouldn't have trusted them but anyways they're specifically from germany but it's also kind of expanded to include people f- uh, originating from like eastern eastern and central europe i believe it said got it so 23andme has said quote we do not have any indication at this time that there has been a data security incident within our system rather the preliminary results of this investigation suggest that the login credentials used in these access attempts may have been gathered by a threat actor from data leaked during incidents involving other online platforms where users have recycled login credentials this does include full names usernames profile photos sex date of birth genetic ancestry results and geographical location Okay, with that, we'll move into the data breaches section. We're going to start in Washington, D.C., where the Board of Elections confirms that voter data was stolen in a site hack. This allegedly affected about 600,000 records and could include name, registration ID, voter ID, partial SSN, driver's license number, date of birth, SSN is social security number for those who don't know, date of birth, phone number, email address, quote, and more. And I say allegedly and could include because they haven't really confirmed a lot of details. This is just kind of what the reporter has figured out based on available information. The board is conveniently reminding everyone that most of this data is public record anyways. The article said, notably, the breach did not involve a direct compromise of DCBOE servers and internal systems. Billions of usernames and passwords leaked online, and here's what you should do. So this is from digital risk protection company Darkbeam, who left the database unprotected online. It has almost 4 billion records, and fortunately, this was already breached data uh, Darkbeam was collecting to alert customers when it was breached. Sony has confirmed their data breach impacting thousands in the U.S. We briefly touched on this last week. There was allegations that Sony had been breached. They're now confirming it. This impacted current and former employees and their family members. It was 6,791 individuals total. It was the result of the move attack. 
They did not publicly disclose what data was impacted. And as usual, they are offering credit monitoring, although the article didn't say for how long. Motel One discloses data breach following ransomware attack. This is a low-budget hotel chain that operates over 90 hotels with 25,000 rooms in Germany, Austria, the UK, Denmark, Belgium, the Netherlands, Spain, Poland, the Czech Republic, and the US. Black Hat claims it includes the past three years of names, addresses, dates of reservations, payment methods, including card data according to Motel One, contact information, and internal company documents. Cloud computing provider BlackBod has agreed to a $49.5 million settlement for a ransomware data breach. This is a company that catered specifically to nonprofits like schools, charities, and healthcare organizations. The breach took place, or the investigation, I guess, took place back in May of 2020. This affected over 13,000 businesses in the US, Canada, UK, and Netherlands, impacting millions of individuals. The data included demographic details, social security number, driver's license numbers, financial records, employment data, wealth information, donation histories, and protected health information. MGM Resorts confirms hackers stole customer data during cyber attacks. So they've confirmed a cyber criminal stole an unspecified amount of customers' personal information during a September cyber attack that will cost the hotel and casino giants an estimated $100 million. This includes names, contact information, gender, dates of births, and driver's license numbers. And for a limited number of customers, hackers also access social security numbers and passport details. And then our last update comes from Leica Mobile, which I think we talked about last week. They have also confirmed that customer data was stolen during a cyber attack. This is a UK-based MVNO, or Mobile Virtual Network Operator. Earlier this week, they were the target of a cyber attack, which caused widespread disruption for millions of customers. So the article, I love this. They focused a lot on what Leica didn't say. They didn't say what kind of data was stolen. The company said that it holds customer information, including names, dates of birth, addresses, copies of identity documents like passports or ID cards, as well as service customer service interactions and payment card information, including last four of customers' credit card numbers. They suggested that customer passwords may have been compromised during the incident. Leica said it encrypts data in transit and at rest, including passwords. But when asked, the company declined to comment on what type of encryption it uses. It is not yet known if the intruders accessed or stole the encryption keys. Leica also did not say how many customers were affected by the incident. The company, which claims to be the world's largest MVNO, says it has more than 16 million customers globally, and they have yet to confirm how it was compromised or the nature of the incident, although the company's confirmation of data thefts suggests the incident could be linked to ransomware. So just, again, kind of some educated guesses there based on the available information. All right, and now we have the companies, and I'm just going to group up these three stories because they're all kind of the same. Same wavelength. So uh, the Google Pixel 8 is official with seven years of updates. Uh, I'm not even going to really talk about the Pixel 8 if you want to learn more about it. I'm sure there's a million tech articles and YouTube videos about it already. But the highlight here is that it has seven years of software updates, which is pretty on brand with what Apple might offer. Also, Android 14 officially is released for Pixel phones. Not much to talk about here, but it is a new Android version. Could mean less data for developers to access. And there's also different security and privacy improvements probably under the hood. And there's probably Probably going to be some improvements in the future as well so definitely keep an eye out for android 14 and on that note uh, there is an october security update which fixes some zero days exploited and attacks so make sure you're up to date on the newest version of android our only other company story comes from apple this time and you guys may have heard this one. It says, Apple considered and rejected switching to DuckDuckGo from Google. Slightly misleading headline. This came from a testimony from Gabriel Weinberg, who is the CEO of DuckDuckGo. He said that his company had about 20 meetings and phone calls with Apple, including the head of Safari, in 2018 and 2019 about becoming the default search engine for private browsing mode. Weinberg said, we were talking about it. I thought they would launch it. 
He noted that Apple had integrated several of DuckDuckGo's other privacy technologies into Safari, but the article didn't really specify. He said, multiple times we've gotten integrations all the way through the finish line, really almost everything we pitched except for search. The article says the unsealed testimony clarifies how Apple considered various alternatives to Google and search, but ultimately stuck with Google and their lucrative revenue sharing agreement. This other dude, John Giamandria, who joined Apple as the head of search in 2018, said that to his knowledge, Apple hadn't considered switching to DuckDuckGo. In a February 2019 email to other Apple executives, he said that it was, quote, probably a bad idea, unquote, to switch to DuckDuckGo for private browsing in Safari. All right, research. School surveillance tech does more harm than good, the ACLU report finds. This is despite claims from companies, surveillance technology in U.S. schools does not improve student safety, and constant surveillance can, in fact, cause a number of harms to students, including making students less likely to report dangerous behavior. Schools typically use technology such as cameras, facial recognition software, and communication monitoring and filtering technology, which have been marked by education technology surveillance companies as intervention tools against school shootings, suicides, and bullying. In 2021, U.S. schools and colleges spent $3.1 billion on these products, and this number is expected to grow 8% every year. But the ACLU's report concludes that there is little to no independent research or evidence that supports any of these claims. So a senior policy counsel from the ACLU said that from a research standpoint, these claims are impossible to prove and are misleading to school officials and administrators. The report's extensive review of tech companies' websites and marketing materials showed that companies rarely provided any data to support claims around efficacy. Outside of schools, research has shown that camera surveillance is largely ineffective as a crime deterrent. And in the last two decades, eight out of the 10 most deadly school shootings took place in schools that already had surveillance video cameras. Although school shootings and suicides are a rare event, they are every parent's worst nightmare and the fear is very real. That makes these products easy to sell and to market to schools, according to a spokesperson for the ACLU. The ACLU report also offers recommendations to school districts and state-level decision makers about which tools are proven to work, which includes mental health counselors, guidance counselors, hall monitors, doors that lock from the inside, and other proven techniques that benefit student safety. And then our last research story is just kind of a a fun read. It says, NSA and CISA reveal top 10 cybersecurity misconfigurations. They said that it's based off their work with red and blue teams. For those who care, the top 10 default configurations of software, these are in order, by the way, one to 10. Default configurations of software and applications, improper segregation of user administrator privilege, insufficient internal network monitoring, lack of network segmentation, poor patch management, bypass of system access controls, weaker misconfigured multi-factor authentication methods, insufficient access control lists on network shares and services, poor credential hygiene, and unrestricted code execution. There's a lot more details in the article, as usual. And now politics. Federal Court of Appeals ruling opens door for Canadians to have right to be forgotten on Google. The Federal Court of Appeals said that Google, in a two-to-one ruling, which is responsible for as much as 75% of internet searches in Canada, is not covered by an exemption in the federal law for journalistic or artistic work. The case began with a complaint to the Federal Privacy Commissioner in 2017 from a man whose name and details are kept confidential in the ruling, but he said that outdated and inaccurate information about him in newspaper articles found on the internet was leading to great personal harm, including physical assault, employment discrimination, severe social stigma, and persistent fear. Google argued that it acted as an intermediary between publishers and their audience, much as libraries or convenience stores do. It said that to exclude intermediaries would make the exception for journalism ineffective. The case appears likely to be headed for the Supreme Court of Canada, and the judge also said the questions before the court were more limited than the right to be forgotten. The complaint's co-counsel said we're not arguing and no one has argued in any jurisdiction that people should have an automatic right to this. It's always been interpreted as a case-by-case balancing between the public's right to know and privacy. 
This next story says H&R Block, Meta, and Google slapped with a RICO suit allegedly schemed to scrap taxpayer data. So RICO is uh, an abbreviation for those who don't know. In the US, it's Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. It's basically like gangsters, like the mafia and the mob. And um, actually, we'll go ahead and read this quote. Attorneys bringing the case forward claim the three companies' conducts amounts to, quote, a pattern of racketeering activity, unquote, covered under the RICO Act, a tool typically reserved for organized crime. This is based on the tracking pixels that were disclosed earlier this year. It's said in a congressional report, but I think the markup is actually the one who originally brought this to attention. This is an update to something we've talked about probably dozens of times in the past. Pretty much ICE, CBP, Secret Service have all illegally used smartphone location data, but there is kind of a twist to this. So it's a little bit different from the other dozens of times we covered this story. So just some context for those who are kind of new to the podcast. For years, U.S. government agencies have been buying access to location data through commercial vendors, a practice which critics say skirts the Fourth Amendment requirement of a warrant. Because rather than getting a warrant and going through a judge uh, to have some kind of formal oversight, they can just buy the data from someone else who doesn't have those requirements. During that time, the agencies have typically refused to publicly explain the legal basis on which they base their purchase and use of data off of. Now the report shows that three of the main customers of commercial location data broke the law while doing so and didn't have any supervisory review to ensure proper use of the tech. The report also recommends that ICE stop all use of such data until it obtains the necessary approvals, a request that ICE has refused. In one instance, an employee says their coworker tracked them without consent. Beyond that, the report also says the various parts of DHS did not have sufficient policies and procedures in place to ensure that the location data was used appropriately. CBP's rules were interim policies and did not have complete versions, according to the report, and ICE and the Secret Service, meanwhile, did not have any policies specifically for the data at all. That and DHS did not have an overarching policy to govern its various components' use of location data. The report makes it clear that DHS agencies have been playing it fast and loose with their acquisition of Americans' location data. Congress needs to explicitly bar law enforcement, and I'm quoting the article here, Congress needs to explicitly bar law enforcement and intelligence agencies from purchasing data from private companies that they would have otherwise needed a warrant to acquire. This is from someone from the EFF. There is a proposed piece of legislation written in direct response to some of the reporting on the location data industry, which is the Not For Sale Act. No, it's the Fourth Amendment is Not For Sale Act. Oh, sorry. The Fourth Amendment is Not For Sale Act. My bad. CBP already said last week they'd stop buying location data. ICE has refused to stop, even when recommended by this report. And the Secret Service claims they stopped using it in 2021, but still purchase it. This next story, the state of Chihuahua is building a 20-story tower in Ciudad Juarez to surveil 13 cities, and Texas will also be watching. Chihuahua state officials and a notorious Mexican security contractor broke ground last summer on the Torre Centinella, which is Sentinel Tower, an ominous 20-story high-rise in downtown Ciudad Juarez that will serve as the central node of a new AI-enhanced surveillance regime. With tentacles reaching into 13 Mexican cities and a data pipeline that will channel intelligence all the way to Austin, Texas, the monstrous project will be unlike anything seen before along the U.S.-Mexico border. And that's saying a lot, considering the last 30-plus years of surging technology on the U.S. side of the border. According to news reports, the SSPE and the, I'm just going to read, Finance Secretary have simultaneously deemed most information about the project as classified and left dozens of public records requests unanswered. The Chihuahua State Congress also rejected a proposal to formally declassify the documents and stymied other oversight measures, including 
including a proposed audit. Meanwhile, EFF has submitted public records requests to several Texas agencies and all have claimed they have no records related to the Sentinel Tower. I'm not quoting anymore, but this is condensed. The tower will include 1,791 automatic license plate readers, 4,800 fixed cameras, 3,065 PTZ cameras, which are the kind that like rotate and move around. 2,000 tablets, 102 security arches, which are exactly what they sound like. They're arches over roadways with like cameras and stuff and license plate readers probably. 74 drones, 15 anti-drone systems, facial recognition, and AI. 60% of the cameras were installed by May and the full network is expected to be completed by the end of the year, but it's already being used in criminal investigations. Google has agreed to reform its data terms after a German antitrust intervention. This was back in January when they were trying to get things changed, and the tech giant has now agreed to make those changes that will give users a better choice over its use of their information. The FCO announcement essentially signals an enforced unpicking of Google's privacy-hostile decision back in January 2012 to consolidate multiple privacy policies for its products, uh, more than 60 separate privacy policies, into a single overarching policy. Next step is now for Google to present an implementation plan within the next three months. And in the future, Google will have to provide its users with the possibility to give free, specific, informed, and unambiguous consent to the processing of their data across services. For this purpose, Google has to offer corresponding choice options for the combination of data. And our last political story is a quick one. Russia plans to try to block VPN services in 2024. This comes from Reuters. It says Russia's communications watchdog plans to block VPNs from March 1st of next year. Demand for VPN services soared after Russia restricted access to some Western social media after President Vladimir Putin ordered troops into Ukraine in February of 2022. Now FOSS, free and open source news. The headline is say an encrypted hello to a more private internet. This is from Mozilla. ECH is a new TLS extension that also protects the identity of the websites we're visiting. ECH uses a public key fetched over the DNS to encrypt the first message between a browser and a website, protecting the name of the visited website from prying eyes and dramatically improving user privacy. ECH works alongside other security and privacy features in Firefox, so it's not a standalone thing, including DOH. DOH encrypts DNS queries to protect the translations of website names to IP addresses, which ensures that website names aren't visible to the network in DNS traffic, and is essential for ECH to be effective, so they work together. DOH and ECH can also be combined with a VPN to provide an additional layer of privacy and security, where the VPN masks the user's IP address and encrypts data traffic, while ECH protects the identities of the websites a user visits from the VPN provider. So this makes your VPN even more powerful because now not even your VPN could possibly see the websites you're accessing, which is really cool. Okay, our next story also comes from Firefox. Firefox 118 brings browser-based website translation. I I swear I feel like we covered this before, so I think what that was was that was like the the like nightly or beta version and now this is like the public version. So Firefox 118 brings support for full page translation which can translate web translate websites entirely in your browser. In other words, everything happens locally on your computer without any data sent to Microsoft, Google, or other companies. So far it only supports 9 languages: Bulgarian, Dutch, English, French, German, Italian, Polish, Portuguese, and Spanish. Mozilla notes that there are also some other limitations. For example, it may not be able to handle websites with mixed language content very well, which makes sense. It cannot translate part of a web page while leaving the rest in its original language, and there's no support for translating text from images or videos. All of that totally makes sense. And then, of course, the article notes at the end there's a few other like security improvements, some bug fixes, stuff like that, but... Yeah, if you're a Firefox user, or I, I saw several people say they're still looking for a good like private translation option, Firefox may now be a, p- a potentially good option for that. 
Uh, next one is super quick. It's a PSA from Molvad VPN. Just make sure you select your local currency when paying for Molvad to help avoid some fees because banks charge fees when converting currencies. So this will allow users to avoid said fees. I think it's a feature they added actually. I think before it was always in, in euros and now they've added some local currencies. So Cool. And that'll take us into the misfits. We just have one story. I actually just saw this one today and I thought it was really funny and I wanted to share with you guys. It says, cat accused of wiping U.S. Veteran Affairs server info after jumping on keyboard. A four-hour system interruption in September at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Kansas City has been attributed to a cat jumping on a technician's keyboard. On a mid-September call, one of the participants explained that while a technician was reviewing the configuration of a server, their cat jumped on the keyboard and deleted it, or at least that's their story. The Assistant Secretary for Information and Technology is said to have responded on the call with words to the effect of, that's why I have a dog. There was laughter and not much more. It was a short incident report. I love this article. The author took every chance they could to make a lot of cat puns, and I appreciate that. They did reach out to the VA to like ask if they would confirm if this story was true or not. The VA sent back like some basic statement. The author said no mention was made of the cat in the VA statement. And then when the register explicitly asked them to confirm the involvement of a problem with pause, he declined to comment. We informed him that we would be reporting what we had heard and to let us know if our source's account was in any way not perfect. Yes, he spelled that P-U-R-R-F-E-C-T. We've not heard anything further from the VA, so we're left with a Schrodinger's cat scenario where the cat both exists and does not exist in different tellings. I just thought that was a fun story. And it's a good reminder that weird stuff happens. Cybersecurity doesn't always look like what you think it does. So that's it this week. We had a big 23andMe data breach that I, I think we're kind of hoping we'll hear more about because we still have some questions on that. Apple allegedly once considered using DuckDuckGo. So, I mean, that was really interesting to hear. True or not, it's it's an interesting claim. And the Pixel 8 is here with seven years of support. And that's, you know, going to have a big impact on like custom OSs and the long-term usability of our devices and all kinds of stuff. So pretty cool stuff this week. Like I said, kind of a, a little more chill week compared to last week. A reminder that if you want to keep us going and keep this podcast free for everybody, we accept Patreon. If you're not a fan of Patreon for whatever reason, which we totally understand, there's LibrePay. And of course, last but not least, there is Monero, which is the most private and anonymous way to support us. So again, for those of you who are able to support, we really appreciate it. And for those of you who are not, there's always sharing, subscribing and stuff like that. Thank you guys again for listening. And like I just said, last thing we want to ask of you, share the podcast around, subscribe if you're not, give us a rating if that's an option. Go ahead and leave a comment. You know, we're trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy and every little bit helps do that. So thank you again for listening and we'll see you next week.